You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious God, our Lenten fast has begun, where we prepare ourselves to celebrate the feast day of Easter and your celebration, celebrating your resurrection victory. As we fast, O oh Lord, from the things of this world, make us to be ever more hungry for your word, that we might be transformed by the renewing of our minds and not conformed to this world. This we ask in your precious name, Jesus, for you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. So, I'm convinced. I've never seen an anthropological study. I should have asked my wife about this before I came in, since she's the anthropologist in the family. But I've, I've, I'm convinced that probably the most universal childhood game is either tag or hide-and-go-seek. Because it does, neither one of them require a ball, a bat, not so much as a jack. They just require a couple kids who want to play and a little creativity. I loved this game when I was a kid. Um, we didn't have a lot of boys in my neighborhood, so I'd go to a friend's neighborhood and um, we'd, we'd all get everyone together and we'd do this. Um, of course, being boys, we transformed it into a game of war. <laughs> where and that, that Y chromosome just comes true <laughs> and half of us had to go hide and ha- the half that we're seeking we were trying to snipe them and get back to a base or something so but I'll never forget the one time we got together it was right around Christmas time and uh, we'd, we'd gone over to this neighborhood my mom had driven and uh, my family was pretty poor and so we we had for clothing particularly winter clothing whatever my parents could find in the thrift stores or at um the outlet malls when they were actually outlets, you know, so everything was kind of misshapen and a little strange. (laughs) And um, that year, I had, my winter coat was bright orange. And I mean bright orange, like with with a blue stripe down the shoulders and like under black light, I just, whew. And I thought, of course, I was picked for the team that was going to hide first. I'm like, what am I going to do? Um, and so I was running all over the neighborhood trying to figure out where I was going to hide. And God bless them, one house was decked out in orange lights. <laughs> so rather than hiding, what I decided to do was just, I pulled my hood up over my head and stood with my back against the siding. <laughs> and just stood against the side of the house. And sure enough, I heard my friends come tromping by. They didn't pass five feet away from me. (laughs) Walked right by, and as soon as they got by me, I got a good jump scare on them. I just, (laughs) they they jumped right. It was was great fun. I got to tell you, it was was gratifying. 
to be able to hide so well and think you were so very clever. <laughs> well, that's, that's the nature of hide-and-seek. And, seek. and I, I'm convinced that it's universal, not just because it's simple, but because I'm convinced it's written into our DNA. Because if you look at the grand arc of the narrative of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, it can be summed up almost in the game of hide-and-seek. We hide. God seeks. From the time that we began to reside east of Eden, we were cut off from relationship with God and largely relationship with each other. And that's a terrifying and, frankly, hobbling, disempowering thing. I remember when I was a kid, um, watching Nova, I was a complete documentary junkie, still am. Um, I was, remember watching Nova and seeing the Harlow Monkey experiment from the 1950s. Now, if you've never seen this, you're about to on the screen above you. Um, I, I got the overview of it from a, one of my kids' favorite YouTube channels. Um, I'm going to apologize in advance. The gentleman speaks very rapidly, but there are graphics to pull you along. So you're going to see him explain the experiment, and then you're going to see some footage of an actual baby monkey going through the experiment. So I'll turn your attention to the screen above you. He said, with great confidence. In 1950s, American psychologists Harry and Margaret Harlow came along with a barrel of monkeys, complicating and illuminating our idea of bonding with caregivers in what has to be one of the saddest psychological experiments of all time. The Harlows were breeding rhesus macaque cat monkeys for their research on learning. Part of the process involved separating babies from their mothers right after birth. Which, yeah, pretty cruel already. They began noticing that baby monkeys were very attached to the blankets they had in their cages. So they set up an experiment. They created two artificial mothers. One was a bare wire cylinder with a feeding bottle attached. They called that wire mother. And the other was a cozier cloth and foam wrapped cylinder without a feeding bottle. Cloth mother. It took no time at all to see the baby's preference. They overwhelmingly preferred the comfy cloth mama, clinging to it whenever they seemed to be anxious or in need of comfort. And sometimes they fed from the wire mother with the baby bottle while standing on the cloth one. This discovery that attachment wasn't just about getting breakfast surprised a lot of people. It turns out that contact and touch are vital to attachment learning, emotional well-being, and psychological development. As the brain and mind develop in infants, so too do their emotions and social behavior. Caregivers can greatly influence this development, and most psychologists will tell you that how a child is raised early on can have a huge effect on how they view the world, other people, and themselves, not to mention how they react to stressful situations or sort out moral dilemmas. I mean, it's a big, complex, challenging world out there, and wire monkey baby mama just ain't gotta cut it. Touch. You can convey all sorts of emotions through touch. A hug, a slap, a pat on the back, a poke in the side, all convey meaning. Babies learn a lot through touch. It's how they feel security and trust. You can imagine how the Harlow's poor macaques who were separated not just from their mothers, but everyone, grew up to have some social issues as adults. Step, uh, maybe putting it too mildly, those monkeys showed many signs of being really disturbed from trouble eating to rocking back and forth in a trance, even engaging in self-mutilation. 
Most of the Maxims in the study never recovered, and those who were forced into pregnancy didn't know how to care for their own offspring. So this is the actual experiment. Those are the cries of that little baby monkey. Just pull your heart out. <laughs> Human beings, similarly uh, kept apart from socialization, suffer equally. Um, we suffer ongoing emotional and even psychological dysfunction. We never develop capacities. Um, that are crucial to living a fully human life. We who are made in the image of God who is forever the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one community of persons, were never made to be alone. God's first diagnosis of the human condition in Scripture is it is not good for the man to be alone. In fact, being alone causes wounds which persist throughout life. Psychologists right now are terribly worried about what a pattern they're seeing. Amongst mothers who, who used to look at their children adoringly when their children were breastfeeding and now flick through their smartphones to catch up on their social media. These children are showing signs of a lack of empathy and an inability to read the emotions of another person and a sense of disconnection with others. We were, it is not good for us to be alone. In the Garden of Eden story, the nakedness of Adam and Eve is more than literal. It is also psychological and spiritual. They had nothing to hide from one another. No hidden agendas. No reason to fear rejection by another person. But from the minute they hearkened to the voice of the serpent, and that moment is not just when they actually eat the fruit. The temptation is not merely to simply be like God, but rather it begins with them distrusting the motives of God. God's holding out on you. He's hiding from you. The minute they start down that track, they begin hiding from one another and immediately they clothe themselves. When we hide from one another and God, the dysfunction caused by our isolation deepens and gets worse. We are not made to be alone. It is not good for us to be alone. But sin being not simply a transgression and something we do wrong or don't do right, but also a wound to our soul causes us to feel alone oftentimes with the people with whom we are most intimate and feel the most connections. We're hiding the things in ourselves that we feel and maybe know are unlovable. 
We're hiding our secret agendas. And we're terrified that they are doing the same. It is not good for us to be alone, but in whole or in part, we are. Because we're hiding. We are hiding. But in Jesus Christ, God seeks. We're meant for a community of love. This, this graphic was made by a church, I think, down in Tennessee. We are made for an eternal community of love, such as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have enjoyed from before the beginning of time. And yet we're born into this brokenness, which is our condition. If you've never understood the doctrine of original sin, understand it in this way. But the season which we just celebrated, of which Epiphany is really an extension, the season of Christmas, which more properly is called the incarnation of our Lord, when God took on flesh for our sake, is God fully entering into our condition of brokenness, including our broken communion with Himself. This reaches its summit on the cross. You know, I, I'm, I'm grateful that people readily memorize uh, John 3.16, that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, and it's true. But I wish people would memorize 2 Corinthians 5.21. Because on the cross, God, not only in the person of Jesus Christ, takes on our sins, but according to 2 Corinthians 5.21, He becomes sin. God made Him to be sin who knew no sin. And becoming sin, which is separation from God, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He who ought never to have been alone experiences the isolation, which is our human inheritance east of Eden. He experiences this. And going down into death, rises up triumphant that we might begin to transcend it. That He might transcend it for us. So that the communion might be restored with Him and so consequently we might begin to be restored to communion with each other. East of Eden, we are alone even when we're with the people we love. I don't know if you can see the title below this woodcut. It says, Giant Despair. You know, if you, if you Google images for despair, the person's always alone. It is not good for us to be alone. I don't know why people have trouble believing in hell. That's partially incarnate amongst us right now. The isolation we feel is hell. Everyone in hell is, in a sense, alone there. In fact, there's a saying in the ancient church, all you can do alone is go to hell. If you go to heaven, you go with everyone else on that journey. Heaven is being restored to communion with God and to communion with that group we call the communion of saints all those making the journey 
along with you. It's to be restored to God entering into our isolation. We hid, God sought, and now we are being brought out of our isolation and into restored communion with Him and with each other. And there's no life I know of that illustrates the principle that hell is being alone more than this man. Those of us who are children of the Cold War will remember this guy. Those of you who are younger might not know who it is. This is Joseph Stalin, the second head of the United Soviet Socialist Republic. Man responsible for somewhere between 10 and 40 million deaths. You know, he started life as a seminarian. He was to be a Christian pastor. But he came to refute salvation by grace through faith in Jesus and sought salvation through history according to Marxist principle of revolution. And step by step became one of the greatest murderers in history. It's unclear to me who killed more people, him or Mao Zedong, but one of them did. His daughter tells the story of his final act in this world. As he lay dying, his breath going out of him, his body getting weaker and weaker, his final act in this world was not to reach out and say, I love you to his daughter. It was not to say, long live the republic or anything like that. It was to rise up briefly from his pillows and silently shake his fist at heaven and fall back dead. Hell is being alone forever, apart from the love of the God in whose image you were created and who died to save you from your sins. Not just from your transgressions, but from the wound that sin has done to you, to heal you, We hide, and we hide with good reason. We know that there are secret agendas out there because we hide them ourselves, even the best of us. And we're afraid of getting wounded again as we've been wounded in the past. We hide, but in Christ Jesus, God seeks. We have tools at our disposal now in human history like we've never had before to hide in ourselves. I thought this picture was especially telling. If you don't, this is obviously the underground in London, Victoria Station. People waiting for the subway or the underground to arrive, all looking at their phones. And they filled those phones with things that will reinforce all their best interests. If salvation is being drawn out of ourself, if Original sin is best understood, as Augustine said, as incurvatus in se, being curved in on ourselves. Salvation consists in being brought out of ourselves into communion with the living God and then to others. If we keep hiding in ourselves, we will never hear the gospel of our salvation and we'll never begin to be restored to communion with those around us. We hide, but in Christ, God seeks. He invites constantly. He has come seeking for us 
bringing us the word of our salvation and asking us to trust him and enter into a communion where there is nothing to hide and nothing we can hide. In our gospel reading today, unable to reach Jesus, a paralyzed man, his friends climbed up on a roof, tore open the roof to let him down to be with Christ. I don't know when the last time was I had to go through all that much to hear the Word of God. (laughs) But what was most important was that when the man was lowered, Jesus reached across the distance of his illness, which in that world was an actual physical distance because, because of the kosher laws, you were kept at a distance from others. You were considered ritually unclean. Jesus reached across that distance into the man's illness to forgive his sins and set him on his feet again. Not only should we do that, being ambassadors of the gospel to a world in desperate need, we need to let Jesus reach across the chasm of our hurt, our sin, to cure us, to heal us. If we have faith, we may already be saved, but we keep reserving parts of ourselves from his healing touch. We don't want to do that. That's what repentance is. That's what this whole season of Lent is about, is giving ourselves fully to the one who gave himself fully for us. In the person of Christ, though we hid, God sought and he found. Let us not be self-satisfied like I was when I was playing hide-and-seek and keep hiding but trust in his salvation and share it with others. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious Lord, in so many ways we hide. We hide from one another. We hide from you. You have sought us, Lord. Grant us to respond in faith and trust to what you have done for we who are faithless. Grant us the power of your Spirit that that which we have the will to do, we may have the courage to do. And as our lives become conformed to yours, as we are healed of the wounds that sin has caused us and that we have caused ourselves, may we become ambassadors of your gospel to others bringing them to you and showing them what a life lived in trust and healing faith can look like. This we ask in your precious and holy name. Amen. Sleeping by 